Welcome to the Redefine Podcast, a conversation and journey of redefining everything. This is a place where we want to grow and progress, and in order to do this, we have to take what we think we know and redefine it. Yeah, let me explain. Do realist ones don't got nothing to gain. If they love you, they gon' love you either way. So go and get that extra shot your brain. Hey, what's your name? Let me explain. Happy May, everybody. I'm Pastor Ryan, and we are here for episode six. It is still crazy to think that this is actually a reality. Um, I hope that you've been blessed with season one and all the episodes that we've been through together. More is coming. Um, I want to just draw your attention to a really unique way you can actually support the Redefined podcast. You can buy me a coffee. Not literally, although I'm always down for getting a coffee once obviously the quarantine is over. But what I'm talking about is supporting me by buying me a hypothetical coffee. If you go to buymeacoffee.com slash redefine, you can donate three bucks. It's like you are saying thank you by buying me a coffee. And I greatly appreciate all the support I get from Patreon and the people who have just donated to me so generously. Um, It really helps and pays for equipment, gifts for the speakers, and many other things that make this podcast better. Again, buymeacoffee.com slash redefine. So my guest today is Jordan Francis, and we are talking about redefining racism. And actually, this conversation, uh, Jordan is actually helping me redefine racism. Um, This conversation is powerful. It's thick. I honestly walked away convicted, heavy, and my mind and heart pounding. So buckle up. It is incredible. Jordan is the CEO and founder of Real Talk Phoenix, an organization and ministry equipping influencers to regain and maintain influence in the life of Gen Zers. He's British, and I could listen to him talk all day, not just for his accent, but because he speaks truth and wisdom like no other. And remember, you are loved, you are accepted, you are welcome here, and you are always free to redefine everything. All right, so Jordan, uh, my listeners don't know you. I know you, uh, but they don't know you. They'll they'll look you up, I'm sure, after listening to all of this, um, and I'll put all the links in there so they'll be able to, to see you and all that. But if you can tell, before we get into this topic of racism, um, if you can briefly tell your story, you are a very unique uh, individual. You're a male person of color, but you're from the UK. And now you're living in America. So if you can kind of just share briefly that story, because that's massively important for us to understand as we dive into this topic. Yeah. Um, so originally, like you said, from Birmingham, England, uh, born and raised there, lived there till I was 18 years of age, moved out to America. But uh, leading up to that decision to move, there were some difficult events that transpired kind of throughout my teenage years. Start with my dad. My dad left when I was 10 very formative moment in my life, right? Because when I'm looking to a male figure to show me how to be a man, he's not there, at least not there in the capacity that he was there previously, right? And so there there begins this search to discover who I am and the things that are available to me. And those things are gangs, those things are friends, those things are girls, those things are alcohol, right? I was a pretty good 
soccer player, football player. And so fortunately enough, that kind of kept me on the straight and narrow. Um, almost made it as a professional, um, partly because of injuries and partly because of just my own foolishness as a young man, not doing what I was told. I didn't do that. Um, I remember my best friend's mom committed suicide when we were 12. She hung herself on the ceiling fan in the living room. Uh, father figure, which was my other really close friend, his uh, granddad was kind of like our male role model. And we watched him die of cancer. And so there was just things that happened around us that really shaped us in a particular way. And um, had a couple of heartbreaks, uh, got into some really long-term relationships, I guess you could say for that age, really deep in it and just uh, ended up breaking up. And so uh, by right about 18 years of age, I'm like, look, man, my life's not going the way I want it to. I need to start again. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to go to America. I'm going to play soccer in college on a scholarship. And uh, I'm going to marry a rich white girl and be all good. That was literally my plan. Real rap. <laughs> That's amazing. That was that was the plan. So, um, so yeah, got to America, small time, East Texas. So I go from Birmingham, England to Tyler, Texas, right? So podunk, East Texas. People talk really slow. Um, I mean, Southern hospitality is true, right? The people there are really nice, um, really welcoming. So that was really good being acclimatized to America and that culture. Um, but yeah, played a few years of uh, college sports, uh, became a Christian my sophomore year in college, and then kind of took the deep dive into ministry because I felt like that was what I was supposed to do with my life. And that that journey has led me basically doing ministry in Texas, Moved to Oklahoma, took a break, got married to my wife, finished my college degree, and then moved out to Phoenix. And now I'm out here. And then I met you. And then we started to hang out. Dang. That's amazing. Wow. There's, I'm sure there's so much to unpack in that story and oh, all man. of your journey. We will, we'll do like side episodes <laughs> after and, and unpack that because that, there's so much in that journey. And we've talked some of that. So I know that, I know there's some good stuff in there. So, so you've, so you've been, in America, uh, since you were 18. Yeah, so I've been here 12 years. Okay, cool. Al cool. Almost half of my life. Dang. Okay. Um, sweet. That helps kind of just set up the framework for listeners just understanding um, why is this guy talking weird? It's because you're from the UK. Exactly. Um, and he hopefully gives framework to um, to the conversation we're going to have. So uh, before we're actually going to jump into definitions redefinitions, all of that. Um, mm -hmm. I think, and, and you and I have talked, and just for the listeners understanding, like this conversation is very unique, at least for me, um, because I, I don't come to this conversation pretending to know, um, or, you know, a lot of the, the conversations I've had in the past, I, I, I feel like I have some sort of expertise in, or at least something to contribute to the conversation. This conversation is different. Um, and rightfully so. And, and I think for me personally, this is, uh, this is just where I started. So this is why I want to kind of start the conversation this way before mm -hmm. we start defining what is racism and yeah. unpacking that. Um, I think it's helpful. I would love to hear from you. Um, why, why is this, why is even redefining or defining racism important? Because, Predominantly, the people who are listening, I know for a fact, are way more like me than they are like you. Um, yeah. And and we, the the people who uh, are more like me, um, we see the 
the big evil things of racism, um, mm-hmm. you know, historically and currently. I, I'd even, I would even hesitate to say currently, but, you know, in the past of, oh, like lynching or, um, you know, back of the bus, things like that we'll, we'll, we'll look at and go, oh, yeah, that's horrible, it's evil. Mm-hmm. But, but ultimately, that we keep that at a distance and we don't actually see why this conversation of racism is even important, why it's something for us to actually know about, understand, empathize with, and look within ourselves. So I guess the question, long-winded, but that the question is why is this conversation even important for everyone to have? What What is the importance of this conversation um, coming from a person of color um, in your perspective? I think it's an important conversation if we're actually going to begin to move forward as human beings into the things that we pretend that we really want to move forward into, right? Mm. Uh, equality and justice and um, genuine right right relationship between different groups of people, right? Yeah. Um, and that that works itself out on all different types of levels. So, for example, I'm married to a white girl, right? My wife's white. But I have experienced tons of racism at the hands of her family, and as she would even admit herself. And that's not because she doesn't care about me or love me, per se, but it's because that um, these things are so heavily intertwined. Like, I think... I think in Western culture, what we like to do is compartmentalize everything, right? Everything's linear, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, right? Like the alphabet, it goes in one direction. Um, and in what we need to understand about what it means to be human and what it means to live life is it's way more complex, way more intertwined. And things affect things in ways that if we're not self-aware, um, we, we can't see. And so I think this conversation is heavily important because... Um, all we're going to end up doing is essentially repeating ourselves in ways that don't look apparent to us. I mean, think about the people that were lynching and doing all those types of things back then. They thought that stuff was right. They thought they were completely justified. You know what I'm saying? Like they used scripture to justify it. Do you get what I'm saying? And so now we look back and say, yo, those, those cats were tripping. Hmm. But the question is when we're dead and our grandkids are alive, what are they going to look back at us and say? Unfortunately, probably the same thing, right? Yep. yep. And so the, the the issue is that once again, and, and I think this is something that we're all guilty of, we'll look at somebody who's worse than us and we'll say, well, we're not that. So therefore that makes me not that bad or that makes where I'm sitting currently okay. Cause it's, mm-hmm. it's not the worst thing I could possibly be doing, right? And on the scale of zero to one, I'm closer to zero than I am to one. So it's all good, but that's not, really working towards what we need to work to work towards right like not doing bad stuff and doing good stuff are two different things yeah right and so we don't we don't just need to not do the bad stuff we need to do the good stuff we need to do the hard work right Mm. and so i think in order for us to do the hard work we have to have this conversation and we have to have this conversation in a way that doesn't force us immediately into solutions i don't think we're ready for solutions yet because we haven't had enough conversation yeah Uh, i love I love uh, one of the things uh, my therapist has said to me that's really helped me is have more conversations that end in I don't know. Mm. 
And I think we need to do that. We need to be people who are willing to have more conversations that end in, I don't know, truth isn't necessarily something that you can just put your hand on and say that this is right. It's, it's discovered, right? It's revealed. And it can be revealed in that process of talking about things and listening. And so um, I think personally, if we're ever going to get to the place where we can really start to move past this thing and combat it, right? Because I, I don't think it's just an issue of like saying, well, we're not doing that anymore once again, but it's an issue of like fighting the things that actually exist in our culture today that are propagating racism in a different way. Yeah. Uh, unless we can move into that, we're, I think we're doomed to kind of repeat ourselves just mm. perhaps in a slightly different way. Yeah. Oh, that's, I think the word that, at least for me, when you're talking that, uh, the word that I would describe is that's heavy and it should be. Um, and I feel like if it's not heavy, then we, we've got to start looking at why <laughs> we've got to go deeper and go, why is that not heavy? I, I was, when you said that idea of having conversations that end in, I don't know, um, that's really hard for Western culture, right? That's yep. hard for, um, America that is all about success because mm-hmm. success is not saying, I don't know. <laughs> success is saying, I don't know, but I'm going to, then I'm going to go figure that out. And then I'll have that answer almost immediately. Um, yep. Brene Brown talks a lot about that idea of when somebody is hurting and instead of, you know, just trying to gra- reach down and grab them up and solve the problem. We need people to come mm-hmm. in and actually just sit in that hole with them. Enter into it. Yep. 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 And that's and th- that's so hard for w- not only Western culture, but people who view themselves as elite, view themselves mm-hmm. as, like you said, oh, I'm not doing the bad, but you're also not doing the good, right? Like, or I'm just doing the good. I'm not, you know, that whole idea. I'm closer to zero than I am to one. Yep, definitely. And I think something else that's important to consider is like this conversation, like the epitome of, so people say like, okay, privilege doesn't exist or whatever, right? Like understand that I live here. This conversation that we're having, I will never be able to not have, Mm. right? The reality is for you, and I know this is not your intent, and I know this is not necessarily what you're doing either, but we can get done with this podcast and this is over for you. Right. You could go your whole life and never have this conversation again and it'd be all good. Yep. I live here. Mm. Right. And so I can't escape it. I can't walk away from it. It follows me to the grocery store. It follows me to the restaurant. It follows me to the sports teams that my kids play on anywhere that I go. This conversation follows me. I'm a six foot three black guy. <laughs> and I know you guys, I don't think you can see cause this is just audio, but I have, a huge beard. I haven't been able to get a haircut for a while because of quarantine, right? So, like, I can be an intimidating looking person walking down the street. Like, I can't do anything about that. And I actually spend my life constantly trying to prove to people that I'm safe. Mm. I go out of my way to prove to people that I'm safe so they, they don't have to feel intimidated or afraid of me. It's like, where did that come from? Had to come from somewhere. Yeah. It can't just be because I'm simply intimidating. Like, these people don't know me. So, clearly, they're defining why they should be afraid of me, afraid of me based on what they can see. Hmm. What can they see? The color of my skin. Hmm. Yep. And then, and, and therein lies that tension that, Mm -hmm. like you said, we can get done with this episode and I don't ever have to face that tension. I literally don't. Mm 
Uh, and, and when you say it follows you, I don't think people even realize it doesn't just follow you into um, an outward, distant public setting. It follows you as close and intimate as your own in-law wife. family. Yeah, wife. Yeah, like wife, every everything. everything. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it. There, like you, when you say, "I don't ever escape it." That it, you're not lying. Like there's not some like little hidden cove that you can escape to. Um, that that you get to escape from, <laughs> like it is, it is with you, and and it's not with with me, and so um, that's why we have to have that choice to to say this is important enough if we are going to 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 flourish as humans and love and join together and move forward. I can't leave this conversation and just forget about it and just move on. I have to make the conscious choice to to jump into that tension and to humbly sit in that tension and with open hands and go let let me learn, let me understand, let let's let's have that conversation and not come in yeah. with saying, "Hey, I have a solution." <laughs> like, "Hey, let's have the conversation. I've got four ways that we can solve this." Like that's that doesn't work. <laughs> so, um all right, so let's. I'm I'm interested, and we've had we've had conversations before this. So, um, somewhat of a leading question, like in order to define racism, um, you actually have told me, and we've had this conversation. And I think it's it opened my eyes when the first time you told me this, I went, "Oh crap!" Like I didn't even think of that. <laughs> um, we shouldn't just surprise anybody. Um, but you say that we have to we have to see racism first as not actually. A, a root, an evil root. It's actually more a fruit mm-hmm. of something that is actually yep. pure evil as a root. So kind of explain what is the evil that you would say, or evils that you would say racism actually comes out of? Sure, yeah. And I think this it goes to the whole idea of redefinition, right? Yeah, because I think what we've done is we've narrowly defined racism as a select uh, few actions, right? So calling people bad names and uh, killing people because of the color of their skin, or those marginalizing people in some very particular ways that we can outwardly see, call out, and say that's bad, right? Mm. And so when we narrow it down to that core, yeah, sure, America's way bad. Civil Rights Act, all those things happen. We've had a black president, right? Shut up and stop talking about it. But when we start to recognize that it's way larger than that and that racism isn't actually what started it, Mm. what started it was greed and power. And so if we go back to the transatlantic slave trade, what was that all about? Like we wanted to build an economy and how are we going to build it on the backs of people, which people? Well, not us. Right. So build an economy on the backs of a group of people. And and to be fair, at this point as well, and a really great person to listen to on this kind of stuff is Cornell West. He's a monster when it comes to uh, these different types of historical facts and different things of that nature. Uh, but anyways, child child slavery was happening at that point, or child labor. So it's part of the reason why child labor laws happened, because you had slaves and then you had really young kids who were being forced to, to, to basically build the economy. Mm-hmm. And obviously one came quicker than the other. But the reality was we wanted to we wanted to acquire power, wealth, safety, security for ourselves. 
So the question becomes, how then do we do that? And how do we do it as quick as possible? I know what we'll do. We'll take a group of people and we'll make them do it for us. But then the question becomes, how do I justify it? Right? Because the human right. has this thing called the conscience. <laughs> so how do I justify taking advantage of another human being? I know what I'm doing is wrong, but how do I convince myself that it's not? I know I'll define them as less than us. And why will I define them as less than us? Because of the color of their skin. I think it was, uh, was it the Greek philosopher Hellenaeus? I think it goes back as far as him when they started to define um, personality traits and the capabilities of human being based on the color of the skin. Hmm. And so uh, the Negro was ignorant, docile. Um, I can't remember what the other things were. And so, and then the the uh, Caucasian was swift, clever crafty muscular like so all these positive traits were associated with being white and then all these black trait all these other traits were associated with being black that were negative and then there was other traits as well associated with yellow and you know those different types of things so we started to attach traits to color um and then i think in america the first time that we see um something happened based on the color of their skin. Cause obviously we know that there were, there were people who were enslaved that weren't just black in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. There were Dutch and Irish and all different types of things. So we see on the East coast, there was a, uh, a African slave, a Dutch slave and an Irish slave that ran away. Uh, and they all three got caught. Now what happened in that community was um, the Dutch and the Irish slave had to serve a certain length of time to the community. And then they were actually set three, but this was the first time we have on record where we see an African slave being um, set up to have to serve that community indefinitely. Hmm. And the only way that we could determine that, that that decision was made was because of the color of their skin. Hmm. Right. And so as we see this slave trade happen and all those different types of things, we see that, okay, so before we were labeled black and white, right. There was, um, Africans, there was Irish, Italian, whatever, right? All these people migrate into America. And so as this whole thing starts to build, obviously there's the opportunity for people who look the same as the Americans to essentially just migrate into that population and become Americans. Mm. And so that group of people begins to come together and call themselves white. But for people who have dark skin, there's no opportunity to do that because you can't hide right. uh, in plain sight. Mm. And so then we start to see this one particular group being marginalized, marginalized, and then we see white being labeled as superior. That's that's why it was called white, right? Because we weren't. There was a point in time where we didn't use that terminology, and then black inferior. And so that's how you begin to justify the uh, marginalization and subjugation of a whole group of people because mm. they're less than, right? I mean, three fifths of a human being or whatever it was. You know what I'm saying? I understand fundamentally when the constitution was written, they weren't thinking about black people. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? They weren't thinking about African people uh, and people with dark hues uh, of skin. And so um, we have to understand that it's about money and power and about building this massive economy. And then we also see, if you don't think it was about that, look at the facts that there were like places where uh, African Americans had come together and started to build their own economies and build their own wealth and build their own businesses. And we see records of uh, white communities coming in and decimating mm. those areas. And the reason, why would they do that? Other than to keep us where they want us, mm. right? Um, you know, uh, 
you think about the accumulation of wealth and how far behind the eight ball we were, right? Because we were slaves and whatever we had was taken from us. And then the Homestead Act, we didn't get none of that, mm-hmm. right? And so there's just so many things that happen throughout history to systematically put us behind the eight ball, even when we finally did get civil rights. And you got to think about it. Slavery was how many hundreds of years? Three or 400 years or whatever right, it was. Right. And so it's just, it's so much to think about and so much mm. to process through. But the important thing to understand is that greed and power prop it up. And then when we look at those two things and we ask ourselves, how is greed and power at work today in our world? And then how is greed and power uh, being used to marginalize whole people groups right now? It's mm. really funny, actually, because uh, let's think about it just for a second. And you may have seen these memes circulating right now as we're, the, as we're in the middle of COVID-19. Some profound, I saw a profound meme the other day. It had a picture of like a black person being arrested and it's like submit to authority. And then it had a picture of uh, Latinos at the border and it says submit to authority. And then it has a picture of people standing out outside, uh, protesting outside buildings. And it says, yeah, we're not willing to submit to authority anymore because it's not in our best interest. So we're going to protest. Right. Mm. And so now we find yeah. ourselves in a situation where the, the majority, the people who've been in control, no longer feel in control. And so what do they do? They stand up and say something about it. But the funny thing is when we were doing that, mm. people of color, they were telling us, hey, just go ahead and submit to authority. Just go ahead and do what you're told. Well, why don't you do the same thing? Because the government's told you to stay your ass inside. So mm. stay your ass inside then. But do you, do you see what I'm saying? Yep. Do the double yep. standard? Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, so yeah, those things are, I think we're actually at a cultural moment right now where there is great evidence for what I'm even speaking to. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's so good. I mean, you, it's crazy because when you started that conversation of saying that it's when we narrow racism as just a, 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 a sliver of a problem or just an isolated incident, um, mm-hmm. The, the solution essentially becomes easy, right? It's just like, here's yep. the simple things we need to do and, mm-hmm. and we'll be good. But if it's if we actually see that it goes deeper, wider, it's, it's, it's way bigger, mm-hmm. um, the solution makes us have to, to go, oh, we have to get down into the, the core of some idols, some things that we hold and we have our, our our grip on so tightly that we might have to let those go. Uh, and those two are greed or money and power, elitism yep. to say we are, I mean, that's the, that's the, that has gone so, and we've talked about this, the, the intertwiningness of nationalism and, and there's one, there's one side to say, I want to be proud to be a part of my country. And there's another thing to say, um, I can be uh, a proud of my country, but I'm better than fill in the blank because I'm in this country or because I'm whatever. Um, mm-hmm. all of that is, is all deep rooted, just nastiness. Um, and like you said, that is, we don't like when that's exposed. And things nope. like COVID-19, I think, have exposed some of those things. Yep. But you see us push it all down. You see it 
oh no 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 or we push it we um I, I, we just talked about it I, nobody's not nobody very few people are having the conversation of how covid-19 and keeping people um or pushing the economy early and i'm not i'm not trying to jump into that political side conversation of when we should open the economy right. um but push the economy open up early and get it going um, at the risk of exposing what that does for the marginalized, what that does for people of color, what that does for people um, is insanely detrimental and dangerous. And, and nobody's having the conversation, right? Nope. It's all just I mean, being pushed down because of power, greed, money, all of that. And I think one of the great scapegoats of our day is the fact that so many conversations have been hijacked and been made political. Mm. Um, and I think what it does is I've seen it create an immense amount of safety for white friends that I have when I'm trying to have the conversation with them about race. Mm. So they'll tell me I'm being liberal and I'm like, I haven't created, I haven't like quoted one liberal law. I haven't like ple pledged any allegiance to the democratic party whatsoever. I'm just, quote in history right and you're telling me i'm being liberal like how it's because it's just an easy straw man for you to prop up for you to escape the conversation and i think like for instance the issue of it's not a political issue it's an issue of like it's a humanitarian issue yep we yep. care about human beings mm. but it's unfortunate that like we have to use this political caveat because we know that people are going to freak out yep and go psycho oh you're a liberal or oh, you're a conservative no how about i just care about what's best for human beings. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But yeah. like it, it, this, this whole thing just gets propped up that way. And it's really sad uh, to think about. Well, and we, we as human beings, I mean, there's psychological uh, defenses of this and studies that when the, the root evil is exposed in our hearts, Mm -hmm. We find a scapegoat. We find something, a label, a person, a people group, whatever it might be to put up in front to take that fall, to take that um, attack so that we protect our comfort, our power, all of that. We see that mm -hmm. all throughout history and especially currently where if it's not uh, a person of color, it's a political label. It's a uh, it's an economic leaning. It's a um, oh you're this way or you're that way. We'll we'll put up that wall, and all that is, is it's just it's a straw man front to protect greed and power. Like you don't yep. you don't see um, when you communicate when you talk, Jordan, about this. Like you said, I'm appealing to humans. Like the care and love and and protection of humans that's no straw man that's not a that's not a scapegoat you're just going this is just what it is um because that's that's all that's all that that you can and yet that's the, all that we have the people who are the majority or the the elite or in power or hold money the the middle class upper class white person um it's it's amazing how uh, 
and I'm included in this. My natural default is to straw man it. Oh, yeah, you're, mm-hmm. you're sounding really liberal. Oh, oh, do you not agree with the president? You're not respecting authority. And I mean, you can even go uh, religious and conservative that way to go, well, you're not yeah. submitting to God who says to submit to authorities and blah, blah. I mean, you can go down that whole road. Yeah, even which is he's a, talking about taxes, whatever. Right, another, another straw man, another scapegoat just to protect... I don't want this to affect me. I don't want this to cost me. I don't want this. And it, and it, and then I would say money, power, and fear. A mm-hmm. massive amount of fear of yeah, agree. What, Ten thousand. That is definitely true. Fear is a massive factor in this. Yeah, because so many people are afraid that they're going to lose what they have, right? And they want to hold on to it and mm-hmm. and do all they can to retain it because it's where they get. It's ultimately it's an idol for them. It's what they worship. It's their god. It's it's how their life makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so, in order for someone to take that from you, is to take uh, your very life. But I think also another thing that we have to mention, two things I want to mention here that I think are important. Number one, you mentioned about middle class people, the middle class and upper class white person. I want to go on record and say this importantly. I fundamentally understand that there are black people and people of color that are have money that right. are in the upper class and they're in the middle class. Right. What I what people need to understand is I'm not I'm not trying to say that's not true. I'm saying when we look generally at the world we live in, right? There's a group of people that live in one space and there's a group of people that live in another space. Think about it this way. We're, we're uh, shut down worldwide right now for a pandemic. And not a ton of the, the whole world population is necessarily um, uh, infected right now, right? But right. there's the possibility of it. And I also know that I think when there's a pandemic or an epidemic or something like that, in a particular area, if 7% of the population is infected, it's classified as like a pandemic or an, mm. or an epidemic. And it's not, it's not a lot. Right. Right. And so think about the disparity between how many people of color live in poor areas and how many people that are non people of color live in more affluent areas. Right. Right. The majority, the majority of those areas, more than 50%. And I'm being very conservative there is going to be made up of white people. And then 50% or more is going to be made up of people of color in the poor areas for a pandemic to be an issue, 7%. And so my point is like, how do we have a mass group of people living here and another mass group of people living here? If, if there's not, if something wasn't wrong, wouldn't we all like kind of be spread out all over the place intermingled and intertwined with each other? Mm. Like, how did this happen? Right. Right. And so my intent is not to like, say it's any one person's fault per se, right. I'm observing what is true and asking the question, why is this true? Mm. Like, and that's not that big a deal. And I think the other thing that people need to understand is that uh, when, and uh, it was a guy named Daniel Hill who said this, he, he's, a, he's a pastor out in Chicago, has his uh, doctorate, he's doing incredible work in uh, inner city community. He said, when black people talk about race, they're talking about power. Mm. When white people talk about race, they're talking about the individual. Mm. And so the whole point is, usually when I talk about racism to somebody who's not a person of color, they automatically assume I'm talking about them because their world is so shaped around themselves, right? Mm. And so they always interpret everything that's being said in terms of them. And I'm not talking to you. I'm talking about the issue hmm. that I see in our world that needs to be resolved. 
Hmm. And I'm, I'm calling you into helping me or us together figuring out what we're going to do about this issue. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Too many people feel like it's about them. Well, you're telling me that I'm this and you're telling me that I'm that. I'm not doing that at all. I'm telling you what is. Mm. And I'm asking you, what are we going to do about what is? Are we going to do anything about what is? Yeah, do Do you see also the the inverse of um, when you're talking about racism and you're talking about power and the system like that? You're not you're not looking at somebody in their face and being like, "You're the problem." Um, but for the individual who says, "I'm not racist." Like I, 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 I have, I love people of all, all races and, and all that. And they, they make the inverse of, no, I'm, I'm not like they, they start using those personal pronouns. I'm not, and I don't, and I have friends who, and I, um, and you're going, no, it's not the fact that maybe you individually are okay. Mm-hmm. Um, your call is get outside of your individualism mm-hmm. and see the whole picture of power and greed that is feeding the fruit of racism. And if the individualist can get out of the, that horrible mindset, which is the mind of Christ, who says it's not about self-centeredness and autonomy and and just me, but about the body, about the family, the community... Um, yeah. To go, it, if I'm using personal pronouns in the conversation, in the conversation, or predominantly using personal pronouns in the conversation of racism, I'm already part of the problem. I'm already there's other stuff going on. Is, is yeah. that is that accurate? Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, you're essentially, and people don't need, need to understand this. Very strong statement I'm going to make. If you use those pronouns, you're essentially a supremacist. And here's mm-hmm. what I mean by that: you're saying that your experience defines what's true for a whole population. Wow. <laughs> That's the epitome of supremacy. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. I haven't seen it or I don't do it. So therefore it's not true. Mm. What? Mm. Mm. Do you get what I'm saying? That's ridiculous. And then, but here's the funny thing about that. On the flip side, then you want to be able to make sweeping generalizations and statements about people of color populations. Well, they have kids out of wedlock. Uh, they don't finish school. Uh, you know, all those different types of things. They're, they're at higher risk for disease and different things like that. Okay, great. Why? Hmm. Why is that true? Statistics aren't, aren't the root. They're symptoms, right? They, they, right. They, they reveal to us an issue that is happening. Then it's now our job to go discover the issue, right? So you have two choices at this point. Either you have to fundamentally say, we're just there. Like, the reason why our people or white people are doing better than people of color is because they just make better decisions because they're just morally superior humans. Hmm. Or you have to say there's something that has happened like in environmentally, right? There are things that have been put in place either still existing now or we're still in the residue of that have put this group of people in this situation that they find themselves in. Right. Hmm. Because everybody, yes, has to make choices, but in the gel, you have a completely different set of choices than the person right, who's living right, in the rich right. part of town. Yep. And so, like, there are things here that aren't even real. They don't exist here, hmm. right? So we don't even have those choices to make. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. 
out in affluent parts of town where people have money and all those different types of things, they have a completely different set of choices in terms of how they're going to live their life. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm saying it's what is. Right, right. You know that's, what I'm saying? That's, that's, it's not moral, right or wrong. It's amoral. It's, a, it's defining a reality. It's saying mm-hmm. this is the reality. Now, from that, we make moral decisions and we make you have the choice to make certain um, responses to that as opposed to I make a choice that then determines the reality. You're saying, no, 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 you have to, it's reverse. You have to see the reality for what it is. And then we're responsible for making those choices from that. Yep. It's a, uh, I had this conversation with a, a friend. So I'll commonly have these conversations with people every once in a while. Like I'll, like I remember I posted a video um, of, and I'm sure a lot of people have probably seen it. It was that video at like a sports camp where it had people in a line and they were going to run a race. But before they ran the race, mm. they asked a certain set of questions. And if the answer for you was yes, then you got to take a step forward. So it was like, if your parents are still together, if you, you know what I'm saying, grew up, if you didn't grow up on food stamps, all those different types of things, right? And so what has started to happen is kids who predominantly were from white homes, right? Obviously there were some people of color sprinkled in there, started to be ahead in the race to the finish line. And the dude made a profound point. He was like, I want you to look behind you. And I want you to look behind you because I want you to understand that like you're at a place in life completely different from the people behind you based on the things that have happened to them. All the things that the guy mentioned were not decisions that those people made. Mm. They were the environment that they were born into and the things that they had to deal with. And his point was, if you guys were to be on the line at the same place, that person right there would crush you, Mm. right? But because you're ahead of the game, you might actually win the race. Mm. Do you get what I'm saying? And so I posted that video. And so this guy comes on there and he's like, well, yeah, um, but the reason why they're in the position that they're in is because of the choices that they made. And then I responded to him and said, yeah, you're an individualist, ain't you? And he said, yeah. I said, okay, cool. Well, let's jump into a a private conversation. So we ended up getting on the phone and we're just having a conversation about stuff. And he's like, what's all about people's choices? Their grandma made bad choices. Their mom made bad choices. I'm like, okay, but like, why? Why did they make bad choices? And so then we started talking about the war on drugs, right? We started talking about redlining and kind of like this whole idea after World War II. People think that this stuff is like hundreds of years gone. Like, let's just go back to World War II. What, 70 years ago? So like, just before my mom was born, when my grandparents were like still walking around. Do you know what I'm saying? So like, it's yeah. not that far removed. Right. So World War II, everybody goes to war. Everybody comes back. What happens? Let's build the suburbs for the veterans, right? Because they deserve it based on what they've done for the country. Mm-hmm. Fair point. They definitely do. But, oh, I'll tell you what, we're not going to let people of color get houses. Mm-hmm. We're going to cordon those suburbs off. And we're going to make sure that the banks don't loan money to people of color who just went to war to make sure the United States is still the United States and the world is still the world. They did the same thing that white people did. Right. And as soon as they get home, you can't buy homes. Okay. So then what we're going to do is leave them in the inner city. And what happens to the inner city? Nobody's living there. The businesses aren't there. So what happens? It starts to collapse in on itself. So people who don't have anything to survive, what are they going to start to do? They're going to start to commit crimes. Why? Because they're trying to survive. Yep. Right. And then people that are trying to move out of there to get a better life can't because the banks won't loan them money. 
mm-hmm. right? Or what happens is a black person finally moves into your neighborhood and it significantly decreases the value of every other home in your neighborhood. So guess what happens? Those people move again. So we, then we have the war on drugs, right? We're going to go into these neighborhoods and we're going to police these neighborhoods and get the drugs out. And so we're talking about this and I'm asking this to this question. I said, do you think that the poorest part of town is the only place where drugs were? Hmm. And he was like, no. And I was like, so why did the police only go to the poor neighborhoods then if there's drugs all over cities everywhere? And he was like, yeah, I've never thought about that before. Hmm. Because there's intentionality to it. Do you get what I'm saying? It was done in a specific way, designed in a specific way to do that to a very specific group of people for a very specific reason. Right, right. right? And so when we don't acknowledge that, it just it's just silly. Like I, and I think, like you said, it's this blatant denial of what's true, or yep. like we're just going to prop up something else, or we're going to say that it's actually something else's fault, or we're going to say that that's not our problem, or it has nothing to do with us. Or, well, I'm not racist. And it's like, okay, what you have to understand is all of these things is con- have contributed to the environment that we live in today, and they make things the way that they are. Mm. So before you call that black person from the ghetto, uh, just a hoodlum from the streets. Maybe if you understood that person's story and knew what they went through, you'd recognize that, man, if I went through what they went through, I probably wouldn't be too much different. Yep. Yep. Oh, that's so good. And it, the, I'm, (laughs) I'm at a loss in the sense of, because if someone comes up to me, goes, Hey, there's a problem of murder that people are murdering other people. And I stand before them and go, I don't, I haven't murdered anybody. I haven't killed anybody. And I really don't think I would. Like I'm, I'm, I'm a generally good dude and blah, 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 blah. Like, and so I'm not going to work towards creating a world that heals and, and tries to fight against murdering people. Like that's absurd. I don't, I don't think a, a, a decent human being would go, just because I haven't killed anybody doesn't mean I'm going to work towards fight for a world that is is completely gets rid of murder. Like, I, I think that we would all say, no, we, if murder didn't exist in our world, it would be a much better place. And yet, mm-hmm. when we have the conversation of racism, and me as a middle-class white male goes, I'm not racist. Like I, I, and I don't think I ever would be. I would at least on purpose, and I would never da 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 da. And I leave it there. That's absurd. It's absurd to say, I just because I'm not doesn't mean that I need to or don't need to work towards, um, and work with the and 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 help participate in the human flourishing of racial tension and divide the sanctity of human life made in the image of God to say there is a mm-hmm. problem and just because I might not identify, which that's a whole, I think that's that's an arrogant statement, but um, to, to have that mindset is absurd to me, yet I'm at a loss because I make those statements. I, I might not make them verbally, but I make them inwardly, I make them emotionally, um, which is why in the past, I would say three to four years, my whole heart has has been wrecked and changed because I've I've had these kinds of conversations with yeah with you and with other people to go my goodness um, I mean 
you challenged me all the time. I have a couple other people that challenged me to go, hey, go watch this documentary. Go watch this. Go read this book about the history, that this, this, and this. And what it's caused me or forced me to do is get out of my individualist <laughs> mindset and to go say, what is the the bigger story and narrative here? And then I come back and go, bruh, like, I've, I'm so sorry. I, I had no clue. Um, and, and, and I, I, that's my hope. I hope that people can start there. Like you said, to just go and, and I, I didn't come in with answers. I just went, I had no idea. Help me understand. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yep. And I think, I think one of the most important things that people can do is just start to build intentionally build relationships with people that are different from them. Right. Right. And I think, uh, you know, as you've kind of mentioned in, a few times, obviously I'm a Christian too. And so as I think about the words of Jesus, as I think about the, some of the most important words he left us, right. Love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself doing so you'd be fulfilling the whole law. Right. And so, um, I think we think in the West, we have the whole love your Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength down. And we kind of mess up on this whole loving your neighbor as yourself type thing. But I think what we fundamentally need to understand is that like every human being is made in the image of God, the Imago Dei, right? God's put his thumbprint on them. They have inherent dignity, value, and worth. And so if that's the case and God's called us to love our neighbor as ourselves, anywhere in the world where our neighbor is not being loved like us is an affront to God. Hmm. And if we're aware of it, we're called to do something about it. Right. Period. You don't, you don't escape. Right. Right. You know what I'm saying like, that's, that's the all seeing pervasive, like will of God, right? Like his people would stand up and fight against mm. all those things. And so I think as uh, for Christians, what we've been focused on for way too long is because once again, we're super individualistic. So we're focused on all my individual sins. So uh, let's not watch porn and don't cheat on your wife and don't eat too much. And uh, don't say too many cuss words, right? right? And what we don't understand about Jesus is, Jesus was like, yo, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, go into the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey or command you, and the Lord be with you to the ends of the earth. And so what he was about is like us going. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, take up your cross, uh, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. That wasn't a call to defeat sin. That was a call to lay your life down in service, die for the sake of other people. Right. And so like, and what we don't seem to understand is that when we actually do that, uh, guess what happens? Sanctification, right? Mm. You start to change and you start to look different and act different and say different things and care about things differently. Why? Because you got outside your small, silly little bubble mm. and you recognize that there were other people in the world who like needed to know God, needed to be loved by other human beings. And those things aren't just transformative for them. They're transformative for you. Mm. When the rich and the poor come together, the Lord gives them both sight. Mm. Right. And so we just like, we're missing the beauty of what it even means to follow Jesus. Right. We're missing it. We're missing what it means to really follow Christ, what it means to really see his kingdom grow and transform the world that we live in, right? It's not it's not some far off thing that's out there when we die. It's now, right? right? Right. And so we're supposed to embody it right now. And it's supposed to pervasively be permeating the earth, right? The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, right? Mm. But we're not living that way. 
And so, yeah, it just, it sucks, dude. Mm. I don't know how to put it any other way. It's just trash. Yep. Yep. Well, and you see it in the individualistic understanding of the gospel. Jesus died for me. And then when yep. I die, I'm going to go to heaven. And what's, yep. cr- what's crazy is you, you, for people who hold that and who frame everything by that, the hard thing for them to realize is that, okay, so if that's all the whole goal, you're going to get to heaven, and guess who you're going to get to heaven with? Who's going to be there? Like, it's not that when you get to heaven, you're just going to be chilling, you and Jesus all by yourself, and that's it. Like, there's other people who are going to be there, and and that's that's the beauty of heaven, that uh, there's, there's clear language. All nations or all people groups will be mm-hmm. together, worshiping, mm-hmm. living life together the way it was intended to, to, to be. And so <laughs> the whole point of Jesus dying to defeat sin and evil and death, yes, but the benefits and the fruit of that is unity of a people. Uh, uh, to, to be able to go, the Jew can sit with the Roman, the the uh, the Muslim can sit with the Catholic, the the white person can sit with the black person, and that is that is salvation here. And guess what? Jesus says that will cost you. That will cost you what you hold so dear into what you grip, what you what you you know, grasp at and cling to, that is denying yourself, (laughs) denying individual self, laying that down and going, this is what love love looks like. And so, and we see it in Western, typically Western church culture, which is all about individual salvation. It makes sense. It makes sense that uh, 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 the fruit of a greed and power evil racism is permeating has permeated and is permeating throughout the entire western church oh man don't even get me started on the church bro don't don't even (laughs) do it that that'll be that'll be another another topic for for a conversation okay so here's here's the last question and i'm already i'm already gonna prophetically say we're gonna we're gonna have part two and i think part three just because i'm looking at the list of questions that i have and we've only scratched the surface. So I'm like, we're going to have at least two more episodes of this. Because I think, one, I'm it's game. important to, yes. Um, but but to, to leave the listener with this, um, what is, for the, just the, the average listener, and I've told you the average listener um, is predominantly uh, not a person of color. Um, mm. And predominantly the listeners who would tune in are going to be middle class white people, uh, mm. male and female. Um but for the average listener, um, how do they, how do we begin to help, like what, give us a tangible thing for us to start seeing the systemic evil of greed and power um, and that we're a part of it? What is something that we can do tangibly for us to start seeing that? Again, not necessarily yeah. uh, go do these three things because that will sure. fix it. But yeah, it's, yep, it yep, started yep. with me going, 
How do I just see it? Yeah. I think, um, well, first and foremost, there has to be this acceptance of the reality that you simply do not know everything nor understand everything. And then from there, moving out and with, with the intent to learn, right? So what are the things that you can consume? What are the books that you can read? Who are the people that you can talk to? You get what I'm saying? There are plenty yeah. of people like myself who are willing to have these conversations uh, and willing to educate and share our stories and inform and give you that information so that you can just begin to take it in. But I think one of the most powerful things that you could do is build relationships from, with people that don't look like you, act like you, talk like you, or think like you, man. Mm. And but what you have to understand is that cannot be buffed out of the pursuit to understand something because they become the project. Mm. It has to become, it has to be buffed out of ultimately the words of Jesus, man, like to love your neighbor, to, to, to be about what he's about. You know what I'm saying? And so yeah. when it's out of that place where it's like, man, God has called me to love people. So I'm going to go love people. You know what I'm saying? It might be yeah. a prayer that you pray, God, give me the opportunity to connect with some people that are different from me and make it natural mm. might be your neighbors. It might be somebody, one of your friends, boyfriends or girlfriends or spouses or whatever. Like all of us are connected in some way, shape or form. It might be somebody at the grocery store. It might be somebody at the gym, right? But build a relationship with that person for no other reason other than to build a relationship with them. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like think about it this way. People, in affluent parts of town are totally comfortable and satisfied with those parts of town being homogenous. Hmm. There's no desire. And there's, there's actually like, they don't think that anything's being lost by not having relationships with people who are different from them. Right. Right. It says a lot. Hmm. Like I, I live in the rough part of town, call it whatever you want. When people, when I tell people where they live, my live, I live there like, yo, you okay? Hmm. I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. I love living here. I have, all types of people walking through my neighborhood. Uh, I have all like homeless people, uh, people with all types of addictions, having conversations. And then there's great people. My neighbor like is one of the coolest people ever watches my house. He's from, he's from uh, Africa. You know what I'm saying? Helping him. Like I got other neighbors down there, Latinos. They're all sitting out on the porches with their families, like, you know, hanging out, having a good time, dancing, singing. I'm like, yo, I want to be a part of that family. Yeah, And so it's like this reality of like when you're around all these different cultures and you're seeing all these different people living the different types of ways that they live, um, there's a lot that you can learn. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so um, go out and meet and connect with those people, man, for no other reason than they're human beings made in the image of God. Hmm. And uh, the reality is something has some God has something for you in that if you'll allow him to show you what that is. Well, I'm just going to ask you for one thing. Would you just think about the conversation you just listened to and ask yourself the question, how much does this matter? And then dig into the thoughts of how you may need to redefine racism yourself. I have been on this journey for about three years. And even after this conversation, racism was redefined for me. And again, as Jordan put it, we're not ready for solutions yet because we haven't had enough conversations. Would you start having the conversation? You can find out more about what Jordan is doing here in Arizona through his website, www.rltkphx.com.
www.thebeatdown.com.